Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of year. Starting to get cold. Clocks are going back. Here in the UK, anyway. And, um, yeah. And I feel sad over it. <laughs> in the words, the public enemy's Chuck D. Bring the noise. FM Podcast Network and three layers I am currently wearing. <laughs> I'm Charlie Taylor and this is what's good. Welcome back ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Oh man, just not into it. Not into it. Take me to Spain somewhere where it is over 20 degrees, please. So I can actually feel good about myself in some fashion. Because every time I go outside, I immediately want to go back inside. And it makes me hate the shit I'm about to do. <laughs> it's just, just, just not fun at all. It's just depressing as shit. Anyway, weather blues aside, hope everyone's well. Um, I'm going to be real with you, right? And I meant to say this a few weeks ago. Or a week ago. I don't know. Sometime in the past week, uh, past month. That I've just been really, just really, really, really apathetic. You know, just just in a real deep state of it. Um, you know, I, people put a lot of effort into the, you know, positive thoughts, negative thoughts kind of thing going on, right? You know, you are what you think kind of thing. Um, I've been thinking negative thoughts for a while. Like it's just been, it's just been consistent just uh anxiety over shit um that's been the main one just anxiety just a general state of anxiety um can get specific but rather not so yeah state of anxiety and you know it just compounds into a lot of things where you know you go somewhere and you're just like i immediately want to go home like i said um not even just due to the weather but just in general um am i doing the right thing you know just Every day waking up just second guessing, you know what I mean? It's just it's just a lot. Um, but um, you know, it's been it's been about a month of me doing it. Um make it I'm trying to I'm trying to give it a go of just uh, getting out of that hole, you know what I mean? Just trying to think positive at least, you know? Um, and just seeing where that takes me. Because, uh, you know, we're just naturally hopeful beings, I believe, right? And it's just in it's draining. It's draining to be pessimistic. It really is. Um, I'm not the biggest of optimists in a lot of ways. Um, you know, just in the state of the the the, geop- the the geopolitical state of the world, in in, in the words of Jane Smith, is dog shit. And um, you know, yeah, I I can't. I think I said this before a few few episodes ago. It's just like I. You can't change some of this shit, you know what I mean? Like, you specifically can't change the world, you know what I mean? Yeah, it takes it takes a wider collective. And I, I just don't have the energy for that. And there's a lot of people that don't have the energy for that. <coughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, it's just um, it's what it is. But, yeah, I'm trying to get out of that. I'm trying to get out of that. I'm trying to get out of negative thinking. 
Um, but uh, you know, this episode, this as pertains to the topics of the episode, um, still not not quite doom and gloom, but you know, just um, something to think about um, that you probably haven't, and that's you know, kind of the point of the show most of the time. Um, so yeah, excuse the um, I don't know if I sound nasally or not. Um, I'm trying to desperately just not use my nose in any way because it's just not functioning properly right now. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you're going to get a lot of mouth breathing uh, uh, this, uh, this particular episode, so um, take that how you will. Before we begin, email to Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go pick the articles yourself, get read for yourself, and support the writers that make the show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop. And let's get to the show. In a week where Elon Musk completes Twitter takeover, and that is just a very simple way of explaining all that, because there's been a lot since that happened. Uh, Saifullah Paracha, uh, the oldest prisoner of Guantanamo Bay, is released after 17 years, um, never actually charged with anything. Um, that's just crazy to think about. Uh, over 150 people die after a stampede in uh, South Korea. Uh, Luis Inacio Lula da Silva has been elected president of Brazil, um, but Bolsonaro has not uh, has not conceded. So, yeah, strap in Brazil. Uh, and lastly, uh, Migos rapper Takeoff dies age twenty eight. And yeah, there's a there's a lot of that. Um, I might put that into my uh, essay that I'm writing at the moment. Um, so. Yeah, look forward to that at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, let's start with um, hairstyles. So, I thought, um, I've been out of you know the school system for a while, um, so I thought um, that, you know, I thought this was not a thing anymore, right? But um, apparently it is still a thing. Um, so this is, the article itself was written by uh, Gemma Crew. It's by the Independence called School Policies uh, Banning Afro Hairstyles Likely Unlawful, Watchdog uh, warns. Likely? <laughs> likely? Uh, uh, very likely. Um, it is uh, unlawful. Uh, let's, let's say that. Um, let's, just, let's, just start, let's just start with it is. Like, just, just fact, it is uh, unlawful. Uh, so, yeah, let's jump right into this because, I, again, I generally thought that this wasn't a thing, but apparently... It still is. La di da. Pupils should not be, quote, fairly, unfairly singled out, uh, unquote, at school uh, because they have Afro hair, the Equalities Watchdog has said. The Equality of Human Rights Commission, EHRC, said policies which ban certain hairstyles without making exceptions on racial grounds are likely to be unlawful. This includes styles such as afros, braids, cornrows, plaits, uh, locks, and head coverings. The watchdog has issued a new guidance to help schools in England, Scotland and Wales in, in, uh, ensure their policies on hair are not unlawfully discriminatory. This applies to all forms of hair discrimination but focuses on race, quote, because of the disproportionate impacts upon pupils from specific racial groups, unquote. Uh, Jackie Killeen, uh, chief regulator at the HRC, said, quote, 
Uh, discrimination based on hair can have serious and long-lasting consequences for victims and their families. As Britain Equality's regu- Britain's Equality Regulator, we want to put a stop uh, to pupils being unfairly singled out for their appearance in schools. That's why, after working closely with experts and those directly affected, we are launching these practical resources to help school leaders understand the law in this area and prevent discrimination from happening. Every child deserves to be celebrated for who they are and to thrive in school without having to worry about changing their appearance to suit a potentially discriminatory policy, unquote. Uh, The guidance cites real-life examples where schools were taken to court over their policies on hair. Uh, The policy of one school which banned boys from wearing certain hairstyles, including cornrows, was found by a court to be indirectly discriminatory after it was challenged by a pupil. The HRC also cited the legal case uh, it funded Ruby Williams, a mixed-race pupil who was repeatedly sent home from school because of its policy that banned afro hair of excessive volume. What the fuck does that mean, excessive volume? (laughs) Jesus Christ. The Watchdog secured a legally binding agreement uh, with the school to ensure... It had it ended the discriminatory policy and considered factors such as race as yeah, such as race and religion when determining what a reasonable hairstyle was. Uh Lamaya Shire, I hope I said that right, uh founder and chief of chief coordinator of the all party parliamentary group uh for race and equality in education, said quote, No child should be sent home from school for wearing their natural hair, which is why our APPG wrote to the HRC in October 2021 to highlight the need for new strength and guidance. We want black children across the UK to know that they can be generally proud of their identity, not penalised for it. I am therefore pleased that this guidance is now being published and I am proud to have been involved in the drafting process, unquote. Nick Brook, Deputy General Secretary of uh, School Leaders Union NAHT, said, quote, schools take their public sector equality duty extremely seriously and want you to and want to make sure that all children young people feel included and able to share identity NAHT therefore welcome any additional guidance from the HRC that uh, helps them achieve in this well he's not completely true there is he because the fact that we even having this conversation says that some schools are not taking their public sector equality duty extremely seriously as he says there some people clearly are and I feel like we should name and shame these schools that are doing so. Um, I think in 2020... Well, let me finish. Let me finish. I've got two more paragraphs. Let's just finish up. The Department for Education... Spoke, oh, here we go. Uh, spokesman said, Discrimination has no place in our schools or society and is unlawful to discriminate against people's grounds race. We provided guidance to schools last year to help them adhere to the Equality Act with regards to people's appearance, including that leaders should be sensitive to the needs of different cultures, races and religions, and act reasonably in accommodating these needs, unquote. So yeah, I'm just un- I'm just not understanding here where, well, I, s- I swear like, the Equalities Act, what, so that doesn't, does that not account for hair anymore? Does it, does that, or did it ever? I, I haven't read the Act, so I don't know, but I'm just wondering why in 2022 we're having this conversation. I d- I'm wondering why in 2022 I'm hosting a What's Good segment on 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 school policies banning black hair, basically, um, you know, it just it just uh, it just it it boggles the mind of uh, how we're still here. Um, I thought this was a I thought this wasn't a thing anymore. I thought we were past this, um, but apparently we're not. Um, you know, I never had my hair um, in school. Uh, you know that 
anything, to be honest. I but the the most I had it was probably just um, you know, just moderately curly hair. So I never really took it anywhere uh, that would consider afro or you know rose or locks or plants anything, anything like that. So I never took it ne- never took it to that level. But um, even when I said I don't I don't remember anyone being I don't have any personal uh memory of anyone being banned from school because of their hair um i'm probably i'm probably there's probably some uh probably some girls that did some you know just wild shit like colored their hair a certain way maybe uh if i remember correctly uh that may have happened but yeah nothing in terms of just their natural fucking hairstyle you know what i mean it's just absurd how this is being policed and i know it's being policed in places like america and that's obviously been highly uh, publicized um, in recent years but I uh, and because of all that because of all those factors I genuinely thought this wasn't a thing but here we are here here we are in the end nearly nearly the end of 2022 happy November by the way guys um you know nearly the end of the year end of 2022 and we're still talking about hairstyles in schools it just it doesn't make sense to me like what is your what is your problem <laughs> about fucking hairstyles seriously it's their natural hair they do what they fucking want with it like go go like, why are you policing that? Do you even know anything about it? Especially the religious ones. Like, do you know anything about it? You probably fucking don't. So let's, like, you know, just zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, go ahead and do that for me. Um, but, yeah, unbelievable. I saw this uh, I saw this last week, at the, at the beginning of last week, I was just like, fuck, man, this is crazy. Can't believe it's still a thing. So, yeah, um, worthy, of, uh, worthy of a shout. Um, out of all the things going on, definitely worthy of a shout of just uh, you know, just how even the smallest, even the smallest um, injustices um, still still persist to this day um, at my utmost confusion. Okay, so let's hop into uh, TV, film or TV. Um, so, and it's literally about film and TV. <laughs> I usually put both, and uh, it's usually about one or the other, but this is actually genuinely uh, both. Uh, so this is by Stuart Heritage uh, via The Guardian. It's called More Money, More Viewers, More Glamour. How TV Overtook Film as a Creative Force. And uh, just off the bat, I was uh, not even reading it. I was just like, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, considering... Um, uh, got that Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones happening at the same time, and they're both expensive as shit, you know. And they're kind of a point of view into this point. Um, yeah, I think I feel like TV benefits to social media, especially more than film. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, people people tweet during TV uh, TV viewings. You know what I mean? And just basically spoiling everything. So you know, and you don't end film regularly tries not to do that as a community don't try and do that you know spoiler free reviews and then you might have reviews afterwards if you want to get more into it before you watch it but um you don't have to um and nobody's tweeting through a film um unless they're in their te- unless they're in their room doing it um so yeah it's is what it is um film is just more pure i would say um as a as a as an art form but there you go that's just an art form not maybe not a money making medium Maybe not, but, um, you know, horses for courses. Let's jump home. 
What is pauses for courses? I don't know why I said that. What, I don't even know what that even fucking means. Pauses for courses. How do you even spell that? Pauses. Pauses. P-O-R-S-E-S? Pauses. Pauses. These are pauses. Spanish? Anyway. For decades, television found it difficult to shake its reputation as cinema's poorer cousin. Sure, television was exciting. As the box in the corner of your room, it had a familiar familiar intimacy that was hard to replicate. But it couldn't hold a candle to the money, the glamour, the flat-out star power of the movies. How distant that now seems. The international box office is in the midst of a worrying drought. Thanks to production delays caused by COVID, this summer has seen roughly half the usual amount of movies released. And it is showing, and it is showing on the bottom line. Uh, the lack of blockbusters has meant... Uh, that the top movie in the US in September was Top Gun Maverick, a film that came out back in May. Fuck, really? Back in May? I thought it came out in August, um, but okay, I guess I'm tripping. Uh, COVID-2 has hurt the overall cinema experience as cinemas reopen after lockdown. Audiences have perhaps sensibly been reluctant to go and spend two hours in a room with hundreds of strangers again. Lockdown triggered a reduction in the theatrical window. The length of time as cinemas have exclusivity over a movie before it's even given home release from 90 to 45 days, and this has helped uh, to make the cinema even less attractive to audiences than it already was. After all, why spend over the odds on a night out to see the latest Marvel film when you know you'll be able to watch it as part of a Disney Plus subscription in just six weeks? COVID, according to uh, former Disney boss uh, Bob Iger, has caused a permanent scar for the movies. Meanwhile, television has found itself going from strength to strength. You want star power? Check IMDb Star Meter, a fairly reliable tool designed to gauge the most famous people in the world. Just three of the top ten at a time of writing are movie stars, with Brendan Fraser at number two, Austin Butler at number five, and Florence Pugh at number seven. The rest of the list is made up of actors from two enormous TV shows. Oh, wow, I have fucking called it. I literally named the shows, and la dee da they're here. Uh, House of Dragon and uh, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. You want glamour? Look at the internet melting hyperventilation that took place at D23, the official Disney fan Disney fan club, uh, this year just because of a few new Marvel and Star Wars shows were announced. You want money? The total production budget for just one series of The Rings of Power, including the initial fee that Amazon paid the Tolkien estate for the rights, is $750 million. For reference, that with that money, you could have uh, made the last two Avenger movies and then sailed away on a super yacht you bought with the remaining 15 million. People are spending far too, uh, far more to watch television than theatrical film. Last month, Variety reported that a fifth of UK households subscribe to at least three streaming platforms at about 300 a year. While the cost of living crisis means that this figure is likely to shrink as viewers become more selective about their entertainment options, it still outstrips the amount they spend in cinemas. In 2019, before COVID struck, the an average cinema-going uh, spending in the UK was £18.72 a head. £18.72, pence, I should say it properly, um, head a year. Each year, um, in 2020, under extended lockdown, lockdowns, that figure fell to just over £4. Little wonder the Cineworld, the world's big, uh, second biggest cinema chain, is on the brink of collapse. Even for those who have enjoyed success in film, TV is fast becoming the more attractive proposition. Quote, screenplays have been very good to me, says Billy Ray, a Hollywood screenwriter whose credits include The Hunger Games and Captain Phillips. But compared to the forced economy of uh, forced economy of 110 pages, there's something about the idea of having five seasons to arc a character that is very appealing. Two years ago, Ray wrote, Ray wrote, Ray wrote, Ray wrote, Ray wrote the Showtime miniseries The Comey Rule. 
uh, and is now on another television project, a limited series about the January 6th insurrection. Uh, from a creative perspective, Ray says, quote, the bottom line difference between the disciplines required is that in movies, the whole goal is to arc the character to resolve what is broken about them. But in TV, once you've done that, the series is over. So the trick there is to leave the characters unresolved for as long as humanly and commercially possible, unquote. You can see this, in, uh, you can see this appeal in something like Breaking Bad. Oh, God damn. Why do people talk about Breaking Bad so much? I just... Like, there's just a default for people these days. It's actually absurd. I just don't get it. It's good. It's a good show, but I just, I just, I just didn't... I don't know. However, um, you can see this appeal with something like Breaking Bad, where once that show would have been a stepping stone for Brian Cranston, who may have used it to leverage his way, much like Bruce Willis or George Clooney before him, into huge box office success. Instead, it's likely to become his defining role. Though fun, uh, there is something slight about his film work compared with the deep, rich, evolving character uh, character work he was allowed to do as Walter White. So on, on, so on the surface, it looks as if TV uh, finally has cinema licked. But Laura Martin, an entertainment analyst at Needham and Company in LA, argues that we dismiss cinema at our peril. Quote, what import- what's important is that this is an ecosystem, she says. What movies do is create a way for storytellers to tell a story to a segment of the population that is wealthy or dating. It actually serves a different purpose. You can't really go out on a date and watch a big movie in your house. Movies will continue to be a really important part economically and for content, unquote. Uh, I don't know about that quote. That was a really jarring quote in a lot of ways. Anyway... Which seems to, uh, which seems a, like a bit of a fall from grace. If she's right, it means that what uh, what was the defining cultural medium of the last hundred years has now been reduced to a sideshow for rich people and horny teens. But Martin believes the system isn't ready to let cinema die. What matters is talent, she says. Talent wants to win the Acad- win Academy Awards, and that's hard to do when you launch on streaming. It has to be in a movie theater. The other point is that there hasn't been a major franchise created without a movie. Okay, good point. That's really important. We've yet to see television, the television screen, be able to break, uh, make a durable franchise. Unquote. Eh. I'm trying to think. Yeah, is there anything like is there, is there any TV series like Harry Potter level? Game of Thrones got close, but then they bottled it. So I don't know. Mm. Anyway, uh, while Martin's second assessment isn't watertight. Game of Thrones, fucking hell, I'm sorry. I, I assure you, I didn't read this. <laughs> I assure you, I didn't read this before I said it. That's crazy. While well, my second assessment is more tight, Game of Thrones was based on a series of novels, for example, rather than a movie. It is an important point. All the shows that people go uh, craziest for have their roots in other media. Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power might have drawn huge numbers of viewers but it has the benefit of piggybacking of six popular critically acclaimed movies, as well as the Tolkien novels. Uh, Disney Plus, meanwhile, relies for new subscribers almost entirely on our undying interest in Star Wars and Marvel movies, not to mention our thirst for never-ending, if tangential, spin-offs. The closest thing we have to a non-cinematic franchise is probably Netflix's Stranger Things. There you go, that's a good shout, Stranger Things. That's a very good shout. And that's largely untested IP. We won't know how sturdy that series is until someone at Netflix tries to make a kooky prequel about Eddie learning of the guitar. This focus uh, this focus on IP isn't the greatest news for TV either. 
there is a feeling that streamers are throwing everything they have at their legacy properties to get new subscribers through the door, and it comes at the expense of, a, of the kind of smaller, more interesting dramas that win critical acclaim and add texture to a service. Tastes change. People move on. When the public loses appetite for the loses its appetite for the space, spaceships and wizards and superheroes, and they will, the streamers might find that they have nothing left in the tank. This might not be a case of TV beating film, but of TV blindfolding itself and chasing film into the void. Uh, quote, I don't think anyone knows where things will be in five years, says Ray. Lots of very smart people are trying to guess, but that's all they're doing, guessing. Great stories will always find a way through. Great characters will always grab an audience, and all of all the forms of exhibition will have some slice of the pie. But anyone who tells you they know what the slices will look like is lying. The marketplace just moves too fast, unquote. So what next? Maya says that at least financially, TV... For. See, I say film and TV, but then this says TV and film, and that just tripped me the fuck up. TV and film still need each other. Quote, it doesn't matter if television is going to be bigger than the mov- bigger than movies, she says. Uh, if movies create a use case and an economic platform and economic diving boards that help make uh, richer overall content experience, there's that fucking word again, content, um, there's no reason not to keep cinema as part of the ecosystem, unquote. Ray, meanwhile, is a little more cautious. Looking around the landscape, the cinemas with their dwindling blockbusters, the streamers with their sudden aversion to new ideas, he says, quote, my advice to young writers remains the same. Work your ass off, ri- work your ass off, write, get better, rewrite, study the greats, but make sure your brilliant new script also has a podcast attached to it because the timidity in the business right now is pathological, unquote. That's a hilarious finish. A podcast. Funny fucker. Um, <sighs> okay. If I speak as a writer for a moment, so indulge me, ladies and gentlemen, as a screenwriter, um, I've always actually, I've always naturally... This is me personally. Um, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't know if anybody else. I'm sure there's other people that do it with this in mind. But I've always just had the innate ability to just uh, have 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 ideas that just that fit in a lot of mediums. You know, I I have a I have this one idea uh, for example. Um, that I, I have ideas that you know just straight up TV series, right? And I would love to you know just have an opportunity to just expand on that storyline that I've created myself. Um, only I've, I've written a pilot for it, um, but, you know, that doesn't really go far from there. Uh, I know what I want it to be, um, but, yeah, I don't know if I've, I've mapped out, like, six seasons, you know what I mean? So, um, but, yeah, I have good characters. I have a good setting. Like, it's, it's boss. But I also have a feature that I, I, I... Actually, I have two features that could easily be, you know, one could have a prequel to it, um, kind of like Walking Dead vibes, and also another one where it could also be uh, like a prison drama as well. I can make a prison drama out of it. So, you know, I've always just done that for myself personally, where I ha- I've made ideas that um, are just naturally flexible and can be brought out into different things. Um, and I just I I like that for myself. You know, I like that I have that flexibility to make something that doesn't have to be a film. It could be a TV series, but, I, you know, I've made it as a film, but it can also be a TV series, um, or just expanded the universe. I've made a universe, basically. Yeah, you know what I mean? I've just <laughs> I've made myself my own universe. Um, and, yeah, I like that. I like that. I enjoy that. I, I, I like that for myself. And when it comes to this, um, I don't... 
like film can't die, right? Film just it's not. It's not going to die. Um, it it's just impossible in my mind. Cinemas, cinema going. I mean, I've just not had the money to go personally. That's just me. Um, I it's just one of those things of that I've had to ditch. Um, as part of the cost cost living crisis, it's just one of those casualties for me personally. Um, I've not been able. Um, and I've 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 recently realised that I just kind of want to do it more. Um, not even just going to see a film, but um, you know, going to screenings, um, networking with people as well. I want to do that more. I haven't done that in ages, and I feel like that's probably been a bad, uh, a bad thing to not do on my part as a as a writer. Um, but yeah, it's not gonna die. It can't. It just it just can't. It it just simply can't. The TV is good, serves a purpose, and film also serves a purpose. Um, but I feel personally, most people, if you asked, if you if you did a, a a poll of everybody, and asked them what was the first visual medium that um that took your eye, that what was like the first thing you were just like, oh my gosh, this this is great. I would say seven times, and and I'm not talking about you know cartoons or like shit as a kid. I mean like you know. Obviously, TV would win on that front because kids shit, right? But I would feel that most of the time people would say film. Um, I feel like there's more film people um, than TV people. I may be wrong on that, uh, but I just believe that. I, I personally believe that. Or I feel like people are more. There are more people that are that tolerate film than tolerate TV. If that makes any sense, so they can be favourite of each. Right, they can have a favorite on each one, but on the other side, I feel like there's more TV people that tolerate film, and and less film people that tolerate TV. I f- I feel like that's the case, and if you balance those out, I feel like film wins out. Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating thing. I don't know what's gonna happen to cinemas. Um, hopefully they don't go into the bin. Um, but hey, man. So what happens when you're in a cost of living crisis like you know just shit just goes down go you have to just make a deci- make decisions on that and most people have just decided on uh on just not going to see films anymore. and obviously covid as well but it's it's still a shame regardless of uh, regardless of reason Okay, time to talk about something that I never thought I would talk about, but here we are. So <laughs> I found this article via the Telegraph, um, written by Charlotte Lytton, or Lytton. Um, it's called, I believe, yep, this is it. How White Noise Took Over the Music Industry and Put Musicians Out of Pocket. Now, you know, f- numbers-wise, I, I, I guess that's the, the case is going to be made, but I'm just, I just... I know a handful of people that even listen to anything remotely ambient. Um, not white noise. Just hearing TV fuzz, I'm good on that. I, I've that's never been my steez. Um, but fuck, you know, I just, I just, I can't believe this this article even exists. <laughs> to be completely honest with you, but here we are reading about white noise. So let's jump right in. Uh, it's the fuzz of a TV tuned to the wrong channel. 
oral static, flat and monotonous. Uh, with I love that word, monotonous. With no peaks or falls to puncture the sound. Welcome to the white noise machine, where algorithmically, <laughs> algorithmically created tracks designed to sound like nothingness have become streaming platforms' biggest moneymaker. Downloaded by the near billion. Clean white noise, loopable f- with no fade, has been played 847 times, worth around $2.5 million in royalties. Chart success is now more likely for computer programmers than pop stars. The tracks are not uh, are quote not super complicated to create, admits Nick Schwab, CEO of Sleep Jar, which supplies ambient sounds to over six million people each month. They're pretty they're very easy if you have the right software. Primarily sought out by those trying to block out background sound while sleeping or looking to focus during the day. The market is ballooning. The most popular artists, quote-unquote artists, can reach hundreds of thousands or even millions of views daily, easily earning revenue over one million each year. Sleep Jar works primarily through Amazon's Alexa, connected to Amazon's smart home devices, offering noises white. uh, Noises white? Offering noises white. Okay. Uh, Like TV stag. The growingly popular brown, more bassy, and pink, kind of in between. Oh, right. So, white noises, brown noises, pink noises. Okay, yeah, sure. So, so, so South Park was wrong about the brown noises. They don't make you shit. Okay, right. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, uh, Schwab, quote, unquote, accidentally created this business after being lumped with a noisy neighbor six years ago and began using a startup development kit to uh, customize his Echo Dot smart device to play ambient sound. He published the results of Experiment Online in 2016 and Sleep Jar became a hit. Just a thing, seemingly, for our loud, distracted times. The service now offers hun- over 102 tracks from multi-frequency stack to crackling fireplaces, fans, and babbling brooks. We spend a lot of time mastering our sounds, Schwab says. Love that name, Schwab. Schwab, Schwab, Schwab. So, reminds me of that um, Two and a Half Men episode from way back. Schwab! If you know, you know. Uh, making downloadable ambient noise is a two-part formula. The first objective is, quote, making sure that the looping is seamless or as seamless as we can make it. Uh, that is to say, the, the point at which the track repeats appears imperceptible. The second is, another quote, making sure uh, that our volume levels are consistent across all the sounds we offer is super important, unquote. And that's pretty much that. There are no star producers, industry insiders, are fighting over themselves to work with. Uh, brackets. I wouldn't say there's one composer of white noise who really stands out, or in or impromptu jam session seeking to hash out ambient magic. Perhaps a lack of star power goes with the territory. Standing out is the opposite of white noise's modus operandi. Uh, m- musical development is also uh, also not part of the plan. The goal here is for the ambient tracks of today to remain a constant. Schwab says, rather than uh, trying to push genre boundaries. They vary so little, in fact, that one's hearing is the only uh, thing setting them apart. Lower frequency sounds become more appealing as we age, as the higher register becomes out of reach. If we all had the same hearing ability, they could effectively be one white, white. There would, there could effectively be one white noise track for all. Schwab says, so indistinct are, <laughs> so indistinct are from the other. Uh, that's not impacting the bottom line, however. White noise makers. Uh, typically make their cash via subscription. Sleep Jar costs uh, $2 a month. Advertising or royalty pay per stream on the likes of Spotify. Uh, an estimated average of 0.048 per stream compared to 0.01 on Apple or 0.08 in YouTube. Any play that passes the 30 second mark counts. Radio, meanwhile, pays out based on audio size and duration. 
making the looping ubiquitous and in ambient noise uh, tracks an easy money maker. Damn, my nose is blocked. That's crazy. Infinite tracks uh, featuring the same few seconds of vague humming can be created with minimal effort, unlike a songwriter agonizing over a catchy chorus. And the more plays they have, the more they will be algorithmically uh, pushed to the top of listening charts included in various playlists, boosting their reach and uh, makers' coffers uh, further. Uh, It's not just uh, songs benefiting from the genre, but podcasts too. Brandon Reed created 12-hour sound machines, no loops or fades, in 2019, producing podcasts known as Static Murmurs. He now has around 100,000 listeners per day. And frequent Spotify's most popular episodes chance, entering them in four different countries last year and reaching 15, uh, number 15, alongside offerings from the likes of New York Times. Okay. Well, that's pissed me off all of a sudden. Uh, quote, for this silly noise that plays for 12 hours to be in top 100 feels crazy, he said. Oh, is it crazy? Is it? Right, that's cool. People are absolutely devouring it. That's good. That's good for you, bro. The mechanics of music that reside somewhere between functional and oral Xanax has naturally frustrated those in the business of creating actual songs. Not least because streaming platforms divide one pot, uh, run, one revenue pot among all of those to play. Uh, they play. And shouldn't, uh, shouldn't craft be valued higher than someone holding a mic to a desk fan? Unquote. Uh, quote. Uh, it's a lot easier to make those sounds than it would uh, be to make an actual to produce an actual song. So I could completely understand the argument. Twelve minutes. However, I'm sure these streaming platforms look at listening data. They're looking at uh, total streaming durations and looking at repetitive listening. And there, uh, these ambient sounds really stand out. So I'm sure they're using that uh, to drive whether or when uh, they should surface those results over a song. Unquote. Many suspect that data is being manipulated for cynical ends. Spotify rules uh, ban SEO terms from being used as track or artist names, but many seem to make it through the net regardless. Other companies pump out the same tracks under different artist names. Some businesses appear to have been set up with the sole purpose of releasing these tracks ad infinitum. I say so, infinitum. Uh, what, what, okay, side note. What's stopping me from just downloading one of this shit and then just putting it on here? Like seriously, what what's what's how how how's that how's that clocked? I'm wondering what's the plagiarism. Uh, is there a plagiarism issue here? Because I feel like it's kind of hard to clock. Oh, whoa! H- hang on, did you take did you take air conditioner sound machine? Did you plagiarize from air conditioner sound machine? Twelve brackets, twelve hours, no loops. Like you know what I mean? It's just <sighs> I don't know, bro. Whatever. I'm just wondering. One former employee Amerit of Amerits, a uh, UK label, alleged that the company, quote, re-releases these albums dozens of times on Spotify with varying names, listing orders, and artwork, mostly in an attempt to keep their album at the top at the latest release on their artist pages, and, that, and that's basically the full-time job of at least 10 different people, literally to just release the same tracks over and over. The ultimate goal of his, this music spamming is essentially to keep the music at, at the top of the page so it gets uh, seen most easily, and is the latest thing on there, unquote. Discerning exactly which outfits are guilty of this can be complex, as away from the platforms on which their songs reside, they have no online presence, often bearing names so generic they could be dug from the depths of the internet by the most committed sleuth, not no doubt by design. Absolute copyright information that can be equally vague, with tracks commonly credited to companies of whom there is no digital trace. Ah, this is sus. Uh, it's bleak stuff as the future of music goes. 
and it's set to continue so as long uh, so long as quote this problem of differentiating between music and sound persists uh, says Tom Gray, founder of Hashtag Broken Record, which campaigns for better royalty payments for artists. Streaming platforms are increasingly seeing the glut of tracks that aren't, uh, another quote, continue on with this quote, aren't effectively music, but just something that's cheap and nonsensical. And if you reward it in any, in exactly the same way as music, uh, obviously you're going to devalue music. That's just inevitable, unquote. He points to many ghost artists on such platforms, not just ambient noisemakers, but labels releasing entire back catalogues or cover artists providing their spin on existing tracks, all of which eat further into the remuneration pie. The uh, quote, the game, this uh, they game the system, he says, and it's easily done where the model provides this completely level playing field uh, between what is highly expensive, difficult to produce, original songwriting and music, and just whatever you fancy whipping up in five minutes, or literally sticking the microphone out the window. <laughs> Some people might call that democratization, uh, but I call that the devaluation of culture. Ugh, nice bars. Uh, Gray says consumers can't be blamed for lapping up the ambiguous fizz that now populates so much of the charts. Quote, these services who literally make all their money and have built their entire business off the back uh, backs of the talent and the great music that's been made need to get their house in order, unquote. Yeah, I mean, this is just a, it's just a lot, uh, another addition in the in the list of, um, of streaming platforms uh, not doing enough, really. Um, on that on that specific front, and you know, while I can while I can I guess understand why people fuck with you know seeing uh, listening to air conditioner brackets twelve hours no loops you know what I mean. While I can understand that, um, you know, I I think like the visual the visual comparison is like those YouTube uh, channels that are literally just people filming like filming themselves walking. Or just filming what's going on like in front of them and just walking. Like, uh, you know, walk through Tokyo, uh, dash 4K video. You know what I mean? Just uh, and stuff like that. Tokyo at night, uh, Akibara. You know I mean? Just, and it's three hours. You know what I mean? That's like the visual. Uh, I think that's the visual version of that. And, you know, I fuck with that. I, I, I think it's very good research, if anything. Um, if you're researching on a spot, it's kind of cool to just... Um, you know, I was writing science last year, um, and uh, the one of the locations was Rio. So I literally just typed up Rio, like walk walking or something like that, and it was just a video of someone walking through Rio de Janeiro in like in midday, and you know, it was like an hour long, and you know, they were just, you could just you could just get the vibe, you know what I mean? Just people walking about, talking, selling shit, shops and stuff, and. Yeah, it's quite. It's, it's nice. It's it's calming. Like I don't think people sleep to it. Obviously, it's not a comparison like that. But you know, it's it's an ambience to it. There's an ambiance to it. Um, to put it to put it properly. To put it well, see what I mean. It's ambiance. Um, but you know, I don't. That 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 shit is not charting, trending number one on YouTube. So I guess that's where the comparison ends, right? Let me look it up right quick. Let me let me let me do this live. I'm gonna go on Spotify. I'm gonna look up the I'm gonna look up the top podcasts and uh, also the top tunes. I never do this because fuck charts. Okay, just whoever you are, fuck charts. Stop looking up charts. All right, let's uh, see if I can find. Uh, oh, big up Laura Connor Hugo being top ten. Well, well played. Uh, all right, uh, let's see if we got any uh, ambience. Ambient? Any ambient? No, no ambient. 
not nothing so far. Okay, so top fifty muse top albums. Oh, there we go. Ask helps if I go songs, right? Let's let's try that. Um, so Taylor Swift. Oh my god, did you just Taylor Swift? Fucking hell, that's crazy. Uh, who's listening to Chris Brown in 2022, guys? I can't stop it. Um, uh, Central C, Monkeys, Lizzo. Okay, no, no, um, no ambient there. All right, podcast. Let's go to podcast. Here we go. Podcast charts, episodes. <coughs> um, oh, of course, it's going to annoy me. News agents, uh, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, Rob Beckett. Uh, Stephen Bartlett, Times News Briefing, okay, uh, Football Weekly, Today in Focus, Newscast, Ask Blog, which is just a horrible way of a horrible title, Shits and Gigs, uh, Rugby Pod, Shot and Chaser, uh, Help I Sexted My Boss, what the fuck? Oh, there we go, found one, found one, number thirty-nine, one hour of relaxing sleep music for sleep. Sleep, comma, relax, comma, cure insomnia from the Starry Nights podcast. There we go. Found one. There we go. So, yeah, it's not, it's not um as. Oh, there we go. Another one. Forty-eight white noise brackets three hours continuous on brackets. Four hundred thirty-two hertz LPF from Best Noise Labs. Okay. Uh, number fifty-one. Baby sleep white noise eight hours. Womb sound, soothe crying, colicky infant. For your baby, I need to see the details on this. For your baby that won't stop crying and won't sleep, here's what you've been looking for. This is a mixture of white noise and womb sounds to help a colicky newborn calm down, fall asleep, and stay asleep. Okay, alright, I, I, I guess I don't know if the if I, I don't know if there's uh, if there's any research in that, but that's kind of interesting. Number sixty. <laughs> Brown noise sound machine, twelve hours. There we go. There's twelve hour sound machines chatting. Um so yeah, it's about it's about it's not as um ubiquitous as the uh, as the article would make it. Um but it's definitely about in places. So that's interesting. I wonder if it's on the ep- on top podcasts, if that's anywhere. Um looking, looking, looking. Don't think so so far. Top thirty, none of the top thirty. Uh, top 40, nope, Kim Kardashian's The System, oh good, thank you uh, Jay Shetty Dad Bible, Spotify Studios Audio Boom Studios LBC Podcast Nope, no uh, no, no, oh, there we go Slumber Studios' The Sleepy Bookshelf Oh no, that's not, it's not quite ambient It's, um, it's falling asleep to uh, Fiction um, so yeah, and uh, they've done Alice in Wonderland adventure. Uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. So, there you go. So that's one if you want to peep. <laughs> Hustlers University. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> so literally, the 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 maker is Top G. That's just oh, fucking hell. Andrew Tate is such a such an enigma uh, to put it lightly. Um. All right. I'll leave it there. I'm still looking, but I'll leave it there. Um, I've got, I've gone to the top 100 and I haven't found one. So yeah, I don't I don't think I don't know if it's like, you know, as ubiquitous as the article may seem, but I'll take the word for it. Um, but you know, if it's if it's truly the existential thing that we think it is, I don't know how to really combat that. Um, but as it looks, you know, I found a few on I found a few on the songs chart. Uh, or was it the podcast? <gasps> 
excuse me, podcast episodes chart. I found that. So, you know, it's not as ubiquitous as the article would make it seem, but it's they're there. They're in, they're in sprinkles. Um, and, you know, I'm not getting 100,000 fucking downloads. So, you know, I, w- I have a place to be pissed, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, I've made my bed. I'm a fucking sleeper in it. Um, be sure to share the podcast and spread it uh, to anyone that <laughs> anyone that would enjoy me talking. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I've just never been into like uh, the white noise thing. Like, uh, if I'm if I want to sleep, I put on some just really deep bassy chill hop. You know what I mean? Just uh, go off on that. Um, so yeah, ask mass my vibe. But um, I know some people that are into like ambient shit. Maybe not white noise or whatever brown noise and pink noise is, but. Um, yeah, the only pink noise I'm listening to is Laura Puller, so uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. You got me trembling in the palm of your head. Alright, let's um, <laughs> finish off. Uh, with uh, society, I think I've labelled this. Yeah, society. Um, and yeah, it's been about six, seven weeks now, um, or since the beginning of the uh, don't even want to call it uh, Iran protests. Um, I don't know what it was specifically called. Um, but yeah, I've, 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 it's it's been a while. I've taken my time to actually get to this. Um, I have been keeping up with it vaguely um, here and there, so catching up on some, you know, uh, catching up on some details. But um, I found this article, found it interesting, um, especially from the person that wrote it, um, who's literally, his latest book is called War in 140 Characters, How Social Media is Reshaping Conflict in the 21st Century. Um, so this is by uh, David Patrickarakos, um, and uh, yeah, he's contributing to At Unheard, this is where the website is, and it's called Is Iran's Arab Spring Doomed? Um, so yes, um fascinating and i thought it'd be interesting to get into um so this is not really a you know kind of like a uh a what's happened so far you know what i mean or on the ground boots on the ground not boots on the ground but you know on the ground talk about it so if you want to peep that you know just i don't know hit up wikipedia or something like that to get some details um but if you are aware of the situation um let's jump right in uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, I think that's how you say it, Khomeini, uh, was a fundamentalist uh, cleric who inspired the 1979 Islamic Revolution to overthrow a millennia-old history of Iranian monarchy. He was also, legend has it, an athletic young man who became the leapfrog champion of his village of Khomein uh, and the surrounding area. Whenever I think of political change in modern-day Iran, it is the face of this surly mullah, I hope that's how I say it, how you say it, um, in the winter of his life that appears in my mind. In 1979, furious Iranians marched in towns and cities across Iran, uh, holding up pictures of Khomeini. Uh, Khomeini. Uh, now they march once more, equally as enraged, equally as determined to bring revolution. It's been six weeks since protests broke out after the murder of Masa Amini, an Iranian Kurdish woman, at the hands of Iran's brutal and sinister morality police, uniting different parts of society across age, class and ethnic boundaries. Women now burn their hijabs daily and cut off their hair. Parents uh, boycott schools. Protesters uh, continue to line the streets. All the while, Iran continues to be uh, strafed by international sanctions, a failed nuclear deal, and spiraling inflation and unemployment. The people have had enough. 
The regime, though, fights back. It has cut off the internet, is desperate to strangle coordination between protests and to stifle the flow of information out of Iran. Uh, but that's impossible. With the help of VPNs, social media is driving international awareness with protests breaking out in solidarity across dozens of countries. Yet the, uh, yet still, the crackdown continues. Iran State TV and its various news agencies are pumping out regime narratives almost 24-7. Forced apologies uh, by protesters who have supposedly seen the air of their ways after, I would guess, much torture, are now a daily feature on evening TV. And, of course, the killings never cease. The Norway-based Iran Human Rights Organization estimates uh, that more than 200 Iranians have been murdered to date. Uh, when I look at the Iranian protests in 2022, I cannot help but compare them to 1979. There are clear parallels. The fact that the fact the protesters just want the mullahs gone, the centrality of the hijab, a background of economic decline, rumours of Iran's leader being weakened by cancer, but there is one difference this time, speed. In January 1979, just a month before the revolution, Khomeini was still in exile, as he had been in since 1963, from a cottage in uh, Nofoul-le-Chateau, no le chateau uh, yeah, sure, in the French countryside near Paris. Khomeini continued uh, the work he'd begun in Iraq, recording revolutionary sermons, speeches, anti-Shah rhetoric, and the ideology of the Islamic government onto cassette tapes, which were then sold in Europe and then smuggled into Iran. These were then broadcast and duplicated by mosques and distributed illegally, of course, throughout the country. Uh, it was through this system that Khomeini, who was obviously barred uh, from appearing on Iranian media, was able to mobilize Iranians to action. It took him years. To today, however, the thousands of Iranians pouring onto the streets are likely to have been mobilized in the space of just a few hours by communications technologies that did not exist in 1977 to 79. Yes, it is now harder than any other, at, than at any other point since the internet came to Iran to access it properly, but the government's ban is not total. Email providers, including Yahoo Mail and Mail.com, are blocked, but for some reason Gmail, iCloud and ProtonMail are not. It's tricky for the protesters to mobilise, but it's not impossible. On the face of it, this could be only good. A popular revolution can only succeed if it's, well, popular. But digitally powered uh, protests carry as many disadvantages as advantages. And when it comes to turning them into successful revolutions, counterintuitively, perhaps even more. Here, the benchmark is the ultimately unsuccessful 2011 Arab Spring, which took place in the age of early social media, when Facebook was already established and Twitter was booming, but Instagram was in its infancy. It has been called the Facebook Revolution, and it bears comparison to Iran today, in particular the case of Egypt. Uh, there, protesters hoping to overthrow di the dictator Hosni, Hosni Mubarak uh, endured many of the hardships Iranians have faced over the last decade or so. Police brutality, election, electoral fraud, lack of political freedom and liberty, and economic terminal, uh, turmoil. Uh, their response was clear. Revolution powered by social media, as Fawaz Rashid, an Egyptian protester described at the time, quote, we use Facebook to schedule the protests, Twitter to coordinate, and YouTube to tell the world, unquote. The demonstrations kicked off on 25th of January 2011, known as Police Day in Egypt, and never looked back. Facebook pages such as We Are All Khaled Said, I'm assuming that's how I say the name, uh, which uh, gained 100,000 followers in three days after spreading images of a man murdered by Egyptian police for exposing on-duty drug-taking, were key for, uh, for of the revolution. The hashtag Gen25 hashtag 
uh, became collective digital rallying cries, unifying the people around the first protest before the Egyptian government blocked the internet for five days. It was all too much. Three weeks later, Mubarak resigned. The revolutionaries had won. Or had they? Mubarak was gone, but who would replace him? Social media had enabled Egyptians to mobilise hundreds of thousands onto the streets. This gave Mubarak a choice. Cling on to power through massacres of a scale unknown even in Egyptian history, or back down. He chose the latter. But the structural strength of the social, me- social media its ability to transform every Egyptian protester into their own mini-broadcaster, amplifying messages and helping to mobilise others, proved to be the revolution's downfall. Social media is, by nature, diff- diffuse. Uh, it is not built around the architecture of central nodes, be it states, or in the case of revolutions, leaders. So when Mubarak fell, there was no one to replace him. Millions across the world watched in awe and triumph as he scuttled from power, but the job was only half done. The revolutionaries had no one to replace him. They had no leader, only thousands of Facebook accounts that were incredibly effective in getting the message about Mubarak out, but obviously unable to govern in his place. Uh, the revolutionaries had me- meandered into a void, into which Mohammed Morsi and the Islamist Muslim Brotherhood gratefully stepped. A few years later, after attempting to make himself a de facto pharaoh, he was overthrown by the former general Abdel Fateh el-Sisi, in essence a Mubarak Mark II. Now contrast this with 1979. Many date the beginning of the 79 revolution to January 1978 student protests in defence of Khomeini. After the government newspaper Etelart, I'm going to say like that, labelled him a British agent <coughs> in an article entitled Iran and Red and Black Colonisation. Simply put, the revolutionaries built their protests around the figure of Khomeini. Indeed, the revolution was said to have succeeded when his plane from Paris touched down at Tehran Airport on 1st of February 1979. Fast forward to today and Masa Amini's uh, name has become shorthand for Iranian revolutionary aspiration. Her hashtag has been tweeted millions of times, but she can never be more than a martyr. No leader has yet emerged. Instead, the protests are organised by different people or groups in different cities and towns on an almost ad hoc basis. The truth is that if the mullahs were... I'm, I'm hoping I'll say that right. Mullahs? I'm so, I, I don't know how to say it properly. Uh, were to collapse tomorrow, there are no signs a democratic movement would sweep to power. Opposition groups such as the Mujahideen e Kalk, K-H-A-L-Q, Kalk, have their supporters, but they remain far from being a government in waiting. It is far more likely that the security state, led by the Revolutionary Guard Corps, uh, would step into the void and make apparent what is largely a fact, that around Iran is no longer a clerical state, but is now ruled by a Praetorian Guard. Uh, in 1979, Iranians held up images of Khomeini. In 2022, they tear them down. They know that they they know they want the regime gone, but they have no one to hold up in its place. For a revolution for a revolution to succeed, it's not enough to be against someone. You have to be for someone else. Uh, it's not enough that Khomeini loses until someone else must win. Until that time, the mullahs, I'm just going to go with it, will continue to cling on as murderously and barbarously as they always have, and Iranians will continue to die. For years, Palestinians would say. Palestinians would say uh, they need a Saladin. They were wrong. What they need is a Ben Gurion. Uh, what the Iranian revolutionaries need now, more than anything, is a more than anything else, is a Khomeini. Until that happens, 
this will only ever be half a revolution. And yes, I am going to quickly web search for Ben Gurion. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, so the primary founder of Israel, basically first prime minister of Israel. Okay, right, right, right. I mean, that's a very fa that's a very uh, interesting way of wording things. Like they don't, they don't. And Saladin was the Sultan of Egypt and Syria uh, back in 1137. Uh, well, eleven, well, the eleven hundreds, uh, the twelfth century. There you go. Um, he, that's when he was born, eleven thirty-seven. But anyway, yeah. Palestinians need a Ben Gurion. Okay, I mean, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess um, that would make sense. I, I don't know. If it's a bit on the nose to say they need the first prime minister of Israel. Um, a little bit on the nose there, but I, uh, you know, point made. And uh, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Um, they, they yeah, and I get it, I get it, you know, just think about it, right? What revolution with leaders, you know, they, they most, most of the time win, right? Um, you know, Fidel Castro, stuff like that, you know, just, uh, they, they, they think of any film, there's always a leader, always has to be a leader. And, um, you know, the Iranians need to pick one. They need to pick one out themselves and uh, go from there. Um, I guess that's what the that's what the articles give me, and it makes sense, right? Of having you know, when when you it's the, um, it's, it's the Wiley Coyote effect, right? Or the Wiley Coyote theory. I don't know if it's a theory or effect. I forget. But the Wiley Coyote thingy, where um, you know, okay, he's killed Roadrunner. What now? <laughs> you know what I mean? As a G, it's just like okay, you've 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 done the job. Now what? You know what I mean, and that's uh, that's that's where that's where revolutions go wrong. I guess I'm, I say I guess because I've never. Funny enough, guys, I have never led a revolution. I've never done it. No, um, and I feel like if if I want the revolution I'm thinking of, in terms of burn down Babylon, then there needs to be a leader to help burn down Babylon. But the thing is about social media and the thing is about communities now is that they're so they can be so localized, they can be so specific, they can be so niche that it's hard to have a broad church. It's hard to have a big tent on that front of everyone. You know, everyone's pissed off at the Tory government at this point, right? But people have different uh people have different motives and uh ideas of how to progress from them. And even with that said, it's it's just it's just going to cause argument. Meanwhile, the Tories are just going to stay in power and uh, keep doing whatever the fuck they want to do at this point. So no revolution for us, right? Because we, we can't fucking decide on what we want. Um, so the Iranians clearly have something that um, they are moderately, uh, uh, moderately into as a collective. They just need someone to be a mouthpiece, I guess, at this point. Just have a mouthpiece, have a central mouthpiece. Um, someone who embodies the uh, the views and embodies what they want for the future. And go from there. Um, so, yeah. Good luck to Iran on that front. Um, it's been six, seven weeks and uh, the killing's just going to keep going on. And, uh, you know, that's very harrowing to think about. But, um, I mean, that's the price of revolution, is it not? Oh well. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, on that light note, <laughs> from the Fifth End Podcast Network, I've been tried saying it's been what's good. Enjoy means guys been too much by vanilla.
Thanks to Channel Music for the ability to use the track. You can find both of their links in the full show notes. Thanks to Friend of 5 e Nappy High for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, until the next time, got an interview uh, and t- on top of a new episode that's called, of course, every Thursday. Uh, next week, got an interview as well, uh, dropping on Friday. So I look forward to that. Uh, but until then, until next time, hope you all have a good week. I'm sure always try and do the same. Take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.